Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. The opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Odd Fellows. Our conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. And now, let's continue the journey. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson. And I'm Josh Miller. How you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great, you know. But late at night. <laughs> it is late. It's actually um it's not that late for normal people, but for people like you and me, uh, this is you know, it's pretty late. Yeah. We've just finished an interview with uh Walter Wells and Chris Thompson of uh Vancouver 90 lodge in the beautiful city of vancouver british columbia uh, what'd you think of the uh, the chat we had oh it was amazing i mean those guys I, I don't know there's something about walter wells and i've and i've known him well i met him seven years ago um he there's so much energy and so much passion about uh doing good and having fun he's just he is like the epitome of what i think odd fellowship is and i i, I love him walter i have a man crush on you like billy has a <laughs> man crush on um who's that guy on greg greg <laughs> i have i have a man crush on walter wells because i mean that guy he's he, he is a go 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 and um you know he just wants to do good and have fun and i love that yeah, and he told a great story tonight about uh, their initiative to create a uh, city-run uh, warming center in their hall for uh, nights that are cold in the city. Right. And uh, we we dug a little bit into it because we've had some interest from our members and our city um, through a chain of, you know, everybody knows everybody in Victoria. Uh, our mayor it does a podcast with our chaplain in Columbia number two, and uh, they connected on this Facebook post that Welter put out. And then that turned into a online discussion in our lodges, Facebook page about this idea of a warming center in our facility. Right. And, and uh, all those, uh, just quickly to all the people out there in Goatland, um, we don't live in a, you know, Mayfield, where like, you know, our chaplain is our mayor and our mayor is, you know, married to, you know, it's not, it's not that small of a town, but it is a small town. So we do know each other, but it's not that small. Okay. No, it's right. It's two degrees of separation, right? Like uh, I know the mayor yeah, because I know, I know the chaplain. We all know the chaplain. So we know the mayor. Yeah. The chaplain um, knows the mayor, but that is just random. It's not like we all know everybody. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But the mayor is going to listen to this episode because uh, the chaplain will, forward it to her so hi lisa hi lisa um, hi lisa why don't we uh why don't we get into the interview uh it's uh it's a solid 45 minutes of information about uh how to do this in your hall yeah and thanks walter and thanks chris for everything that you guys do and um thanks for um an amazing interview yeah great so enjoy everybody all right, we are uh, joined now by uh, Walter Wells and Chris Thompson of uh, Vancouver Lodge 90. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. 
Hi, how are you doing? So we're going to talk about your warming center uh, success story that you had uh, started this uh, this month. But before we do that, why don't we get a bio, uh, Oddfellows bio from each of you? So Chris, why don't you start with a little bit about your history in Oddfellowship? Uh, yeah, of course. <clears throat> uh, I became an Oddfellow about uh, six years ago. I happen to know um, a lot of the guys uh, previously, I didn't know they're all odd fellows, but I knew them from different parts of my life, uh, uh, jobs and friendships and so on. So when I became a member, I actually already knew quite a few of the guys. Um, uh, when, I, when I started, one of the fellows was um, making uh, these care packages for, for people in the downtown east side. And I uh, said, do you want to help? And I said, sure. And we started making these packages. And I thought, this is a really great thing to do. You guys do this kind of stuff regularly? And he says, yeah, we'd like to help. And I was kind of hooked from there. I just, I thought it was a great idea. I love the hall and uh, all of it just kind of came together. So I've been at about, um, about seven years. I've held um, uh, financial secretary, recording secretary, vice grand, noble grand, and now I'm past noble grand. So I've held a few positions and tried to contribute what I can. Great, thanks. Walter, your turn. Yeah, so I've been a member 30 years just this last fall. Um, I was the very first member of Vancouver Lodge number 90, which was a, uh, an amalgamation of the last three lodges in Vancouver. And uh, it was me and all the good old boys. And um, I just got in through a friend. I was doing some other charity work at a local seniors hospital. And I've, I've worked my way up, done all the chairs, done all the offices. I actually got involved with Grand Lodge a few years ago and became Grand Master of BC uh, about five years ago. And you helped pull our uh, good friend, uh, brother Scott, through the chair into... Yeah, uh, I bugged him. I bugged him for a while and he finally relented. So that was the best best thing I ever did, I think. So there you go, Josh. We mentioned Scott Aitchison. Thank God. I was worried that he wouldn't be mentioned in this episode. <laughs> so, uh, Walter and Chris, why don't you give our listeners a picture of kind of the lodge location, the building, the hall, and the membership at... Uh, at your lodge, because you have, or you're building, you have two lodges, you have Hemlock as well as Van 90. That's right. So um, there were 25 lodges in Vancouver back in the 1920s, and they slowly dwindled down, and we were the descendants of all of those lodges. We're in a fantastic location, I think, just outside the downtown core in Vancouver, which I contend is better than being downtown. We're in a very central location, one of the major entry points into, into the city at Broadway and Granville, tucked just around the corner. So even though we're at a very busy location, hardly anyone knows of the hall. It's a 1920s character, heritage C-class uh, building. We own 100 feet of uh, frontage. Um, was purpose-built Oddfellows Hall uh, 1922. So our 100th anniversary is coming up next year. And Hemlock is there as well as other lodges or other fraternal organizations that use your hall. Yeah, well, temporarily, the, the Masons two doors down tore down their building this year, and they're building a 20-story high-rise two doors over. So they're renting from us this year temporarily. So we're here to talk about the warming center. And um, there's a few things about this uh, concept and initiative that we want to get through. Um, let's start with the mechanics and kind of how you went about proposing it and then what you needed to do um, with your involvement with the city. Okay, I, I guess I can start again because I, I sort of initiated it. Uh, I, I, f I came across a newspaper article a couple of years ago uh, and the, the author, interestingly, was a homeless man. And I learned that this homeless man lived right around our hall on the west side of Vancouver. So I also learned he had a blog and a, a Twitter account. So I started to follow him. 
and um, very interesting fellow, very bright fellow. And he, uh, a year ago this month, wrote an article in the Georgia Strait that I read um, describing what his life and what the life for other homeless people were like in horrible uh, snowy weather. And it just, it really struck me because I knew that he spent most of his days in the McDonald's restaurant, which is literally one block from our hall. And in his article, it describes how, how difficult it is for people. And I, I don't know what it was, but it just, it really struck me. And I had this image of, of people freezing almost literally on our doorstep. And it, it, normally in our lodge, we, we, we give away $40,000, $50,000 in cash per year. And we, we do these small dollar donation projects. We have fundraisers. So this wasn't something I was looking to do, but it just, it just seemed like it was falling on our lap. I just felt that we as odd fellows, uh, this is a public show, so I can't talk about our secret ritual, but you know, helping our fellow human beings is, is a main part of what we're about. And I just felt all we had to do is open our doors and we could help these people. So I, I, I brought it to the lodge. Um, it was January. I, I thought of the idea. And in the spring, I, I put it up to lodge. But I'm not the most patient or tactful person, I guess. And I simply stood up and I'm very keen to get things done. And I, set up and I stood up and say, let's do this. Let's, this is great. And understandably, I mean, looking back, especially, the, the, there's concerns. The homeless uh, may not be the first choice for a lot of people to help. It's a difficult group. Uh, um, Chris can talk more about how people get in the situation, but often they're troubled drug addicted, mental illness and whatnot. So there was some resistance, uh, hesitancy amongst our members and, and lots of legitimate concerns. But I got very frustrated and I, I told them that if they weren't gonna do this, they might as well go upstairs and play ping pong and rip out our second degree. Chris, thankfully, uh, wasn't the noble grand at the time, but he was filling in for our noble grand. And as I sat down in a huff, giving up, literally I gave up on the, on the motion right there. Um, he said, everyone calm down. Uh, perhaps we can uh, get some more information and do some more research. So he spent the next six months. He took the ball. I gave it up. He took it up, and he took it across the finish line. He can he can talk more about that. So um, uh, what happened is <clears throat> the idea went forth, and uh, and I, I like the idea. And there was uh, definitely um, I don't want to say pushback. Just uh, um, I don't even want to say resistance. Let's just say reluctance. Um, maybe is 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 a better word to use. Um, and so uh, the idea was out there. I liked it. Um, there was reluctance. There was a lot of questions about it. Um, and so <clears throat> as we head into April and May and COVID happened, I, I contacted the city. We didn't put a motion on the floor. This was not, the members weren't voting on anything at this point. I just wanted to run with it. I thought it was a great idea. Hold up. So I contact, Hold up. Sorry. What was the motion? What was the idea? We haven't heard that yet. Oh well, the motion would have been um, to 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 have a, a a warming center at our hall, but we hadn't got to that point. The, um, I was just uh, picking up from where Walter uh, left off and brought the idea. Um, the motion didn't come till Denver, I think uh, uh, late October that we actually had the motion and got it passed. Um, there was a lot of work up in, up until that point. But for our listeners, what was the idea? The idea that we would have um, at the at the Oddfellows Hall, we would be open to be a warming center in extreme weather because um, there was nothing like this on the west side of Vancouver. So we would open ourselves up and be a warming center for uh, homeless people in extreme weather. So prior to us putting that, um, trying to pass that motion, uh, we had to get a lot of information. And so I had contacted the city. I went... <clears throat> Um, found the official uh, lady named Mary Ellen Glover. Um, 
she said this would be great. We're, now we're talking having a warming center. And this is now approaching April and May. And it's warm out and it's COVID. Um, but I had the people come to the hall. I said, does this work? What do we need to do? Can it work? And they said, this would be great. Um, but there's a you know fair bit of process ahead of time. I said, fine, let's, let's do it. So they sent me information, you know, insurance policies. We had to get a hold of the city. There was a lot of um, uh, stuff, preemptive stuff that had to happen um, before we could even get there. So concordant while that, while that was happening, we got this information. We also were talking to members and trying to answer all their concerns. And there were many, we have some, um, some vulnerable members who are in a high risk category in terms of COVID and so on. So absolutely concerned about that. We had members um, who were who worried about the hall, worried about the benches, worried about our chairs, uh, worried about the community, worried about, um, you know, certainly the, the cleaning of the hall um, and the fact that, you know, would this be, <clears throat> would this look bad on us if some things went sideways? What about our tenants? What about the apartment beside us? We had to answer a lot before people uh, bought into it. So um, with the city's support, uh, give us a bit of scope about what they were doing for you, how many people or um, how many people they provided and, and so forth. Yeah, so I can speak to that. What, what really worked for us uh, and, and one of some of the valid, valid concerns were that we had no experience and no expertise in this. And this, they can be a difficult group to, uh, to deal with. There's overdose issues, that kind of thing. So what, what we use the hall for currently besides our own use is we're landlords, we rent it out to other groups. So we've discovered that the best thing that work, would work uh, practically for operational purposes, also for insurance purposes, work, uh, WorkSafe BC, I talked to them and, and by, by renting the hall out to the city is what we do for a dollar a year. And they have an existing program. This is actually a relatively new program. Different private groups have full-time shelters. Uh, BC Housing has different kinds of shelters that open at zero degrees. But the city saw a need. Uh, even though Vancouver is not that cold a city, it's, it's pretty temperate. It, it gets below zero, but not like the East Coast. Um, they found that there was a need. And there, there were times in our city, and I guess maybe the homeless weren't prepared often for the climate to turn colder than about zero. And there was, there was a time when it got cold enough that people were in danger of freezing to death on the streets. So they created a warming program that they, the city, funded and operated. And it only, oper it only operates, only activates when you, the temperature gets to, quote unquote, feel like. It takes into temper temperature into account as well as moisture and wind. When the weather feels like minus five or colder, they activate these centers. And there aren't many of them. There are a couple of community centers and now us. Um, and, and they just open up to provide a warm space for people to come in off the street. So it worked out. It's a really good fit for us because our hall is used for other purposes. We use it. It's not really set up as, as a warming shelter. And another valid concern is wear and tear in the building. There's things like bed bugs um, and a proper shelters have bedding and they bring their clothing in and, and their sanitation issues. We have other tenants. We use it ourselves. So this it's a very limited use and I wish we could do more, but I think for lodges considering this, that there's, there's different levels of care you can give. And I think, especially after going through this process, I feel that this can be a success long-term. We don't do a, a lot, but you know, for example, uh, last night at 11.30, we had an older man come in shuffling on his cane and he stumbled across our floor, found a mat and collapsed for seven hours and slept in the warmth. And when he left, I felt bad because I looked at him and I go, where is he gonna go? What's, what's his, he needs probably so much more help. But you know we're not we're doing something and, and something that we can do to start off. So the city program that we're using, 
they only operate about 30 days a year when it's really extremely cold out. And it's a really good fit for us. We have other tenants, other uses from 10 o'clock at night till seven in the morning. We open our doors in those cold nights. They provide paid professional trained staff who are uh, able to deal with overdoses. Um, we have two or three staff on duty as well as a professional security guard. And it's worked out really well. We've, we've had one week, we've just completed uh, six days. We had some cold weather and it was a, an astounding success. It was wonderful. And how many people were you facilitating or prepared to take in? Yeah, so originally it was interesting. We started this in the spring when COVID was just starting. And I was surprised because again, we had concerns about the use of our hall, but without even talking about it, the city came in and we've got an entryway. Then we've got an ante room, which is about, I guess, 20 feet long by 10 feet, 15 feet wide. Then the big main hall, we have a large ballroom kind of hall. The city was content just to use our ante room, just to pull people off the street. The community centers offer no services. It simply is just the gym and it's out of the cold. And originally they, that was good enough for them. But then when COVID became really more serious, uh, that just wasn't practical. And so then we were able to persuade our members who didn't want the main hall used that if we, our, our, our big lodge room, a parliamentary kind of building has the stations, has upholstered benches all the way around with carpeting. But luckily we've got carpeting in the middle that can roll back to become a dance floor. And so we decided that we would rope off the outer area and just keep the hardwood floor area open, put some mats down spaced 10 feet, uh, six feet apart. And that ended up being 10 spots. So if it wasn't COVID, you know, theoretically we could, we could do more, but I think this is a really good fit for us. You know, just in really cold weather, there aren't a lot of homeless people in our neighborhood. And uh, so it's, it's a good fit to do a 10. The first week of operation, we only had an average of three people show up, but that's sort of expected. Apparently the experts are telling us as homeless people have to learn about it and feel comfortable with it. But uh, so far 10 is our number. And did and, that feel, did that feel comfortable because of the worries of the possible wear and tear of the building? I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to house 20 or 30 homeless uh, with the, in the first week. Yeah. And just ever, I mean, how much, again, you have to find that balance that works for you. And uh, a lot of people we've learned, um, our, our homeless friend who's he's turned out to be a great resource for us as well, tells us that a lot of people have shopping carts. They don't want to come or they have their own secret spot. That's a really good nook for him. Stanley Woodvine, who is our, the homeless blogger I followed and connected with, he's got a sweet spot in a garage, he says, and he doesn't want to give that up if he leaves that. So he, he'll, he'll lose it forever. So he's decided he's got his good sleeping bag and he, he, he'll come by and visit, but he doesn't want to stay but there are some people who you know they're that will use it and it will will fill, fill a huge need still but it's you have to balance again we're not a, a homeless shelter i think it's a really important uh distinction uh, point to to focus on if you're considering doing this you know you could have showers you could have a safe injection site you could do all kinds of things but we just aren't equipped for that our hall is is meant for other things we have stairs for one thing we have different tenants you know it's a wonderful building we, we can't take that kind of wear and tear, but I think this fit of just in super cold weather, we can ease some suffering and it, it's a really good fit for us. We may be able to take more people as time goes by. And the one thing that I want to address just to be uh, next, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we will never be able to take shopping carts or bikes since we've got the stairs, we've got no place to, to store, there's bed bug issues, but pets, I think, I think you know a person could bring their dog and sit down on the mat beside them, but that's maybe the next step that we deal with. I guess one of the other things that just add on here in answering some of the members' concerns, uh, and this could happen to anybody, you know, about the lodge and damage to the lodge. 
my response to that was, uh, we have insurance, we can pay for that. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Uh, you know, uh, uh, some marks, a stain on the rug, a this, a that, nothing that's insurmountable. And so my reaction to the uh, concerns of the damage to the hall is that it'll be pittance if it's anything. We have insurance, we can cover this. This is minimal. No one's going to set fire to the place. Uh, this is absolutely minimal. So uh, if we're worried about a couple stains on a beautiful hall, uh, and that being the reason that we don't help the homeless, to me, that wasn't satisfactory. So that was kind of the angle that, that I took um, on that particular issue about damage to the hall, is that we could we could deal with all of that. Um, you know, unless someone came in, obviously, you know, tore it up and spray paint and so on. But that's just, that's ridiculous, because that, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and people had uh, were... You know, it, it, people have myths around homeless. And so the whole notion of sort of crime and homelessness and mental illness all being tied together and we get, you know, like an apocalypse going on uh, was just, just had to be confronted. That's all there was to it. it had to be confronted and separate out those issues. And uh, we did that, but certainly that was a concern for some people that we would have people wandering around outside, you know, throwing rocks at a window, you know, trying to get into the cars in their parking lot, you know, raping and pillaging people going by. And that's just, um, it was just extremist thinking and that happens with people and we had to, we had to challenge those myths. Um, and I think we did that. Yeah. And to carry on with that, Chris, it's education. It was for me too. I didn't know what to expect. I was, I was concerned it would blow up on our faces. I just felt the need was right in front of us and we had <clears> to help. But in, in spending the whole week with some experienced trained staff, there are some places in the downtown east side. So in Vancouver, most of the homeless are in the downtown east side of the city. And it, it can be a bit of a rough area. But they were telling me, I was all, well, what's this place like? There's a place called the Powell Street Getaway. And it's the most intense, if you will. And they said, you know, it's not that bad. The key is to have professionals in charge, to have adequate staff, and to have a security guard backing it up. Most of the homeless just want to come in and get warm off the street. And so you have to be prudent. You have to take precautions. You have to be aware. The, going into this with eyes wide open, I was well aware, and it was pointed out to us, that there may well be many people who are homeless because they've got their own troubles and their own situations who don't appreciate our service in the least. They may come in. They may break something. They may try and steal one of our old pictures off the walls. So, you know, you take precautions. You, you have put procedures in place. And it's borne out to be, I, I've been so, I can't believe how satisfied I am after this first week. So first off, I want to just congratulate you guys on an amazing project and um, such success. Uh, here in Victoria, we're just a, stone, uh, a stone's throw away from you guys over on the island. Um, you know, it's come to us and we've seen what you've done and it's been floated that we do something similar. So maybe if I could just put out a couple of uh, concerns that have been floated to us and maybe you can just address them. So one was... Uh, well, what if there's a fire, <laughs> you know, or what if, uh, you know, like you said, uh, there's a broken picture. Are these well, things that are really concerns? Like, are they something that we should be concerned about? No, I can. I, no. Uh, I mean, anything can happen. The, the safest thing to do is close your lodge doors. But if you do that, what is the purpose of existing? You know, you've got where our purpose is to go out there and help our fellow human being. But again, as I just said, you've got to take precautions. And so how we're set up, how we're adequately staffed is we've got one of our members on site to sort of be in the background and just sort of make sure the building's being taken care of and answer any questions, deal with any problems. We've got a professional staff person at the entry, greeting people, checking them in, screening them for COVID. We have mats lined up right into our main hall where a second staff person is sitting there and that person stays there all night and watches them. And, you know, and then on top of that, we've got a professional security guard if things do go sideways. So if someone starts a fire, it's going to have two seconds to try and do it. 
Well, you know, a really quaint little thing. I was sitting in there the other night and, you know, to, to part to protect our our area with our benches, we feel a bit bad because we have these comfortable benches on the side, but the members didn't want them, bed bug issues, other issues. So, and the city was fine with that. The, the warmth is the key. So we have mats on the floor. We roped around the hardwood floor. And twice this week, I watched people, they came in, some people went right to sleep. Some people sat and chatted. Two people, once they, they, would, they would stand up and they'd see the pictures on the wall and they walked over and they would sort of lean over and look at the closest they could at the picture and then walk around, lean over the rope, Everyone respected the rope. It was like a museum. I was I was shocked. I thought they wouldn't care. But people, they're, they're de basically decent people, and they respected the boundaries that we set. So take precautions, and we've had zero problems. People have been appreciative and uh, quiet and polite. Quickly, one of the things that I think um, your, your program has shown is that the stigma attached to homeless people yeah, is not quite true, right? Like, you know, because they're homeless doesn't mean they're just going to come in and trash your your lodge hall. No, it's, it, it really does. It's one of those things that need, need to be debunked. I think we, we too often see those crazy things that make the media like a couple of weeks ago, somebody tried to set fire to a homeless person, you know, where you hear the odd, you know, assault and everybody takes that and they generalize it to everybody, which is really unfair. Um, you know, what would not make an interesting news story is to see the life of a homeless person, how they have a routine. They go to certain bins, they pick up certain things. It's very routine. You know, it's just about to get some food, uh, to get a place to stay, to get some money, you know, for some extra food or whatever. It's a very um, routine existence. And so I had to break down the myth of, of uh, what people may or may, may see on TV or hear on radio. It's just, it's just not true. And, uh, and, and that, had to be, uh, that had to be challenged. Um, <clears throat> one of the other things that we were talking a bit about the people involved and what was involved in the hall um, was... Uh, there are some people who may um, have to use uh, needles for certain things. Some may be intravenous drug users. Other people have to use needles for medication, um, diabetes, and so on. So we actually, the city gave us uh, needle disposal units there along with uh, naloxon. So in the event that someone um, had to use a needle for whatever, had to have an injection, instead of just throwing it away, we had a proper disposal, a biomedical disposal, and we all had Noxalon um, on the outside chance that someone uh, may end up having an overdose. So with the uh, negative uh, initial response to things, you decided to make sure that those voices were uh, answered. So when you were discussing the, the issues or the concerns with people, how did you go about it with your members or even with the tenants and the other people in your neighborhood? Well, I just, for, for one of the things that we, that we asked the city, um, more, more concern for our tenants and, uh, and the department um, that's beside us was to have a communications uh, spokesperson from the, uh, from the city. And so we asked for that in case there was any problems, it would be directed to a person who can, you know, do a media response if, if that's necessary. So that was uh, one of the concerns is that what happens if something goes sideways, you know, people will think badly of the odd fellows hall. So we needed to address that um, in terms of some of the uh, reluctance, like I say, it wasn't resistance, it was reluctance um, <clears throat> was to listen what are their concerns? Each and every member, what are your concerns? We we did this formally in Lodge. We did this informally, um, you know, over the phone, on emails, uh, phone calls. Uh, this went on for, for quite a while, like I say, formally and informally, just talking to people. You know, what do they want? Um, 
are they okay with the process? Do they think someone's ramrodding this? And just try and answer every single question and, and listen to every every concern from every member. And I think one of the, the best things we did was put uh, one of our most reluctant members onto our committee. The, the warming center committee was Chris, myself, and this other <clears throat> fellow. And uh, that gave that person a voice. And they he was at every single meeting. And it was, it was best when we had many inspections and tours with uh, different city staff and Vancouver Coastal Health and the fire department. And he would, he brought up many good points and it ended up being, I was, I was so keen on this because I wanted it to happen. I was just going, let's go, go, go. Yes, yes, yes. And he would say, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? And one of the best things that came out of his criticisms and, and his criti critique was cleaning. I mean, part of uh, the, one of the biggest concerns And I, I have to admit, I'm a bit scared going down there. I could sit at home in front of my fire and be safe, but after reading Stanley's article, I want to help, but it, it is a, a serious concern. I don't want to get sick. So we have negotiated because of this person's efforts that the city will pay for a professional cleaning company to come to the hall 7.30 every morning and spend two hours following the provincial government uh, COVID cleaning guidelines. And so the, the Vancouver Coastal Health Officer said, we open up our front and back doors after everyone's gone, the cleaner comes in and cleans and disinfects in a certain manner. And 30 minutes after that, our hall is as good as gold and safe for anyone to use. So having that person, uh, and then when they did have concerns, it wasn't just us uh, arguing back or trying to answer the, 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 the complaints. We had professionals, we had the city people, the experienced people, the knowledgeable people. And so you can complain so much just because you don't want something to happen, say, or you, we've got rational fears or rational fears or valid fears. And they were able to uh, answer all those questions. And as Chris said, he can talk more about it. But after a time, all the all the objections were answered and they had no reason to, to hold us back. So Basically, when, one of the things is it um, it exhausted everything. Like every question, every angle, every everything got answered. So at, at some point, people just had no reason to object anymore because everything was answered. Um, the only objection had just been uh, a personal one, which may have not had any any real basis outside of the fact that I just don't want to do it. And we didn't we didn't face that. So I guess say we answered every single um, objection, objection, concern, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so there was nothing left to kind of flail at, uh, if you will. Um, uh, everything was heard and everything was answered. So one of the things I got from, you know, our discussion here and is that the amount of support that you can get from your community, from your, your municipality is critical for what sounds like your success is that the city is there with the train staff. The city is there with the, the fire inspector, the insurance inspection, the et cetera, et cetera, inspections, that they were such big partners that in fact, what you were doing was you were providing a facility more than you were taking on the responsibility. Is, yeah, is that and a true statement? It is. And I will say though, what's really important to point out is the city has a budget to do this. They've got the trained staff or willing to train them. They have nowhere to put it on. They're, the real estate, especially in Vancouver, is very expensive. We, we estimate our property is worth 20 to $30 million. And they can't find sites that are willing to put this on. So it's a huge asset that we can bring to the table. But yes, another big concern is we had no expertise or no experience. And uh, you need that in dealing this with this population. So it, it, it's a perfect fit. And in our city, yes, the city was keen to take it on. I was talking with Eric Bramble, one of your members the other day, and he says, they, you guys work with uh, our place. And I don't know much about it, but it's a private nonprofit, I understand. It seemed, look at their website quickly, and they've got extensive experience. So you need some help, whether it's government or a nonprofit. 
Um, but yeah, it wouldn't have been right for us just to open our doors and welcome people, and we, we couldn't have coped. I think the other eye, the other eye opener was um, people think of uh, in Vancouver here. People think of the homeless just hanging around the downtown east side, and uh, it's not true. They're um, throughout the city, and so we're considered to be on the west side. And our um, conduit for this, Stanley Woodvine, uh, let us know there's actually quite a few people who are you know, quietly um, living outside. Um, on the on the west side of Vancouver, in some places you wouldn't imagine. So that was a bit of an eye-opener too. We didn't know how many people are actually in our area, um, because obviously homeless people don't. They're not walking down the middle of the street. You see them with their carts and stuff, but usually they're on a mission. It's either go to, to check some garbage cans, to, to get some food, to turn in their cans, and so on. They're not wandering around shopping, hanging out in the library or in the stores. That's just not what's happening. So people tend sometimes to to not see them. Um, uh, because of, of just the routines that they keep. Yeah, and it's so amazing. I mean, um, to just note that, you know, us odd fellows with our lodges, just the real estate that we own, the difference that we can make, right? So, you know, we have a space. And if we just reach out and find people who can help us use our space in a way that can make a difference in our community, that's what we can do. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Yeah. yeah, Josh, I really have to echo that because that's the other thing that we're talking about now um, a lot more is how can we um, have our hall used for you know, nonprofit, low rent and so on during the day for groups that wouldn't normally have access to something like this. And so it's inspired a number of members to start thinking down the line. Um, how can we uh, have our hall um, useful for the community during during the day, not just at night, but during the day? Um, when a lot of times it's just, uh, it's, it's empty. So the benefits were a bit, a bit amazing to um, the guests that you brought in, but let's hear about some of the benefits that uh, bestowed upon your odd fellows group. Um, we know that you've gotten amazing um, media accolades, but what else has happened? Well, it, it, it has amazed me. I've been at this for 30 years and doing small projects here and there, and you get some goodwill and whatnot, but we've tapped into a hot button issue. It's just homelessness is a problem in the city and people want want help to happen for it. And as soon as we've had several articles, we were at in a local newspaper, we were on CBC radio, then Chris did a TV interview. There's a web article. After each one of those, uh, the article was over. I got, a, I got a call from someone who was in another fraternal organization who'd quit that because they weren't doing anything. And he said, you guys seem to be doing something like when I you know COVID's on, but as soon as that's over, I want to talk about joining. I had a, a professional chef, this fella, very dynamic. He's, he's a, he's the personal chef to an ultra wealthy woman right up the hill from our neighborhood. We're in an affluent area is Shaughnessy. It's a extremely wealthy mansion type of area. He does nothing but cook her breakfast, lunch, and dinner for this 85 year old woman every day. And he drove up to our hall in a Jaguar. So he's doing well, I guess, but he came in, he said, I, I just want to help. And he's, he's now for the last two nights of our first run, he provided uh, gourmet food for, for our guests. And he's talking about joining our facility too, because we're, we're, we're having an impact. So it, it's just, the response has been stunning. People that I haven't talked to in years have been texting me and Facebooking me. Uh, real impact on the community. The editor of the Georgia Strait was effusive. He couldn't wait to write an article. He lives in the neighborhood. He knows Stanley. He says, this is such a need that you guys are filling. I didn't realize. I didn't realize there was a problem, as Chris mentioned. I mean, I knew there was homeless people around, but until Stanley's article, 
it is an issue and it's it's it it's uh we're filling a really big hole so it's been a extremely positive response so there's that side benefit it's not why we did it but wow it's it's getting us huge press well we don't do it because we expect the press right we do it and mm -hmm. then we get the press and we yes. get the response one of the concerns now is uh you know we're, we're until the next extreme weather alert comes on you know we're not we don't have it open and um you know, a lot of the, the guys now are going, well, where are they going if they're not coming to our place tonight? Like, where are they headed? And it's, you know, it's a good question. Um, I, I would like to see it open until the weather gets better, but that's just not, uh, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. But it's, uh, it's alerted a lot of people to going, okay, if not here, where? Um, and now people are going, well, where do they go? What, what happens? So I think it's, it's been a real good eye opener. I'm really hoping that we can do it again before spring. So some of the other members get a chance to, because we do, we have one of our members stay overnight. And so some of the other members can get a chance to see it up close, uh, to see some of the people and, um, and get a real good feel for it. So much as you may not want bad weather, I kind of hope we get some really cold weather and we can do it again. Yeah, well, Chris, I looked today and the weather popped right up and we're at the lows of zero right now, zero Celsius. But uh, a week a week tomorrow, Friday, it's supposed to go down to minus 13. So we and may well be open guys. soon. Look at you guys. Just just can't wait to help people. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like and yeah. and and it sounds like some of your members who were naysayers to begin with now can't wait to help people as well. Yeah, Josh, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, and I'm not making fun of everybody, anybody, because that valid concerns and we didn't know what was going to happen. We still wanted to go ahead. But I can tell you that on two fronts, because it did, uh, we've learned a lot. It, it ran so smoothly this week and there was a face to face helping people. Um, it went so smoothly. And then the public support and the public kudos that we received all, I'm pretty confident that I can say that our lodge, who had even up to the time we started last week, was a lot of reluctance. It has crumbled. It has melted. We, as Chris was saying before, we've I've received emails. Some of our members have sent emails to our whole membership list saying, "Hey, I was reluctant. I had my doubts. I said no, but you know, good on you guys." And I totally support it now. So everyone's in favor. It's just melted. And and to all those lodges out there who think you can't make a difference right now while COVID's happening, look at what's going on here. You guys did it, and you did it in the hardest times. And it's just it's such it's. I don't know. I've got a tear in my eye and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, all the amazing things you guys are doing for, you know, a few people, but you know, what a difference that's making to your membership as well. And just knowing that, you know, it doesn't take much to be able to just open your doors and bring people in. Yeah. I was talking to Billy earlier and the, the CPC early edition interview, they did a really good job. And I, I hope you're able to play a small clip from the Stanley Woodvine was interviewed and the reporter said, you know, I could make this a feel good story. Oh yeah. The odd fellows, you know, do good and help some poor people and ignore all the other, you know, things that are lacking. So, so much need is out there. So she asked him, Stanley, you know, what value is of this? And he gave the most heartfelt answer. And the essence of it was to say that, yeah, you help one person, big deal. It doesn't mean anything. But to that person, it can mean so much. You know, they're out on the street, they're alone. So even though we're offering this very limited service, you know, it does matter and it is important. So I think that's a real testament. And first thing, and also, Josh, so just to, 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 so you asked kind of what it does for the members, I think it also solidifies uh, the members as to why they belong and what they can be doing as opposed to just uh, socializing most of them. Um, joined up to do something like this. And so this is really uh, solidified, I think, for a lot of the guys, um, why they joined originally and why they want to stick around. 
Right. And what I was going to say is that it just doesn't, it doesn't just help the people who are coming through those doors, but it makes a difference in the members, right? When you are able to provide that love and provide that warmth, you know, that makes a difference in the membership of your, of your group and those ripple effects, you know, what, you know, what, how they look upon homeless people in the future, you know, it, it's, it's, it's epic. And one of the things that's, that's kind of neat about it, we talk about it in the lodge sometimes is that, um, you know, we raise money and we have some money to give through our benevolence and that's pretty easy to cut a check. Um, this wasn't cutting the check and this is what made a big difference. This was actually hands-on uh, skin in the game uh, dealing with people. So it was nice to be able to help that way. It's, it's nice to, to do it with money, but it's nice to do it with uh, resources and the resources are all. Well, welcome to the modern goat rider because you've uh, you're pushing your publicity out even farther because we're into 350 cities now. Um, one of the things that you guys did do is you hit social media a little bit. Uh, Walter, you mentioned that about uh, the Facebook page and yeah, so and stuff. in in Vancouver, uh, we've got our lodge Facebook page. But I stumbled across uh, what's called it's called the Downtown East Side page. And as I mentioned, in Vancouver, this section of town, downtown Eastside, is where they, most of the homeless people congregate. So they've got their own Facebook page, and they, it's, it's really interesting. I started to follow it after I met Stanley, and they discuss issues. And there's, there's some really graphic photos of what happens down there and the troubles people face. And so once we opened, when we had our first night, I took several pictures, and I created a post that I put on our page. And then I shared it with that page. It's been up, I think, three days. It's been shared over 500 times by different people. It just, you know, the need is out there, and people are so appreciative appreciative of it. So I was stunned by that. 500 shares. So what happens when there's a lineup of 500 guests? Out well, of- okay. So you know, the interesting practical point. So there's a couple things we can do. I mean. COVID safety aside, say COVID was gone, we can take as many as we members feel we're comfortable with. Um, but even right now, the city is pretty good. There are different facilities. And as I said, a lot of people don't want to take the service, but if there's a lineup ever, we could squeeze some more in and still be COVID safe. Um, we'll talk to our members and get permission first. But that aside, I learned this week that um, the city, there's a, a program, I forget the name of it, but it's for drunk when you're out drinking and you don't want to drive home, they'll, they'll drive car in. service. Yeah. yeah. One of those kind of things. So the city has an agreement or a contract with them that if we hit capacity and it's cold out, we are to call the service and there's, there's two other warming centers close by and other facilities further on. So they will make the effort and pay the cost to transport these people to where there is capacity. Oh, wow. That's good. But obviously, I mean, the fact that you guys don't take um, carts and you don't take animals and you have these, these limits it it allows to, for the fact that you know you're gonna you're gonna take your 10 15 20 people who work for the space and you're gonna you're gonna change it i don't understand sorry sorry you're just you're gonna make you're gonna make a difference on those 20 people's oh no. yeah. yeah you know you, yeah. you can't change like even even as i said basically what struck me this week when i've been there is this world frankly stinks a bit it, it's uh, you know, help. We, we're, we're only able to help because we have other responsibilities, other tenants, our, our building has its limitation. So, but we feel good that we're, we're doing what we can. And I think what we're doing is important, but we're by no means really solving anything. We're just easing some pain for a short time. And it feels terrific to do that. This week, several times, 
unfortunately, you know, we would, we wanted to stay open. I wanted to stay open till 9am every day. I wouldn't want to get up at six and be kicked out into the cold street at seven in the morning every day, but the city has budgetary restraints. And so they said, we can only give you so many hours. Do we keep them out till midnight and keep and let them stay in later? So we did a balance of 10am to seven, 10pm to 7am. But when those people shuffle out, like there, I don't know if I mentioned it was this time or the previous interview, but there was, a, it was an old man who came on a cane last night at 1130 and he's hobbled across our floor, found a mat and collapsed for seven hours and slept in the warm. So if that felt terrific to be able to give him that, we gave him a sandwich from our chefs and something to drink, a care package. But at the end of the, the night, he had to bundle up and he hobbled out the front door into the cold and down the street. And I, I felt so heartsick. I just, you know, we could have hopefully done so much more, but right. you do what you can with the resources you have. And this is a first step for us. You know, we've, I've even toyed and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and we have to get member permission. There's, there are so many opportunities. We, the chef is helping us, but we have a kitchen in the building and we thought we, if things go well, and we had member interest, we could start to provide hot soup at night. We could have, we could make takeaway breakfasts in the morning, hot breakfast. Um, Stanley even suggested what would, would really be valuable in the future. And this is, you know, maybe next year or, or further that what would be really valuable in the community is our lodge hall could provide a weekly breakfast, you know, Sunday morning breakfast at the hall. And the homeless people would get to know that every Sunday you go to the Odd Fellows Hall and you get a, a good healthy meal. So you, you do what you can do. You can only do so much, but uh, we're doing something. And that feels so gratifying to me. Absolutely. And as hard as it seems to like kick these guys out at seven o'clock, you know, it, you just made a huge difference in their lives that night. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, you have to take what you can when you get it and you know, feel good about what you've done. And you guys should feel amazing because you've made a huge difference and you will continue. I can feel it. Yeah. This is just the beginning for van 90 and um, you know, what you're going to make, you, what kind of difference you're going to make over the, you know, for your community. So kudos guys, way to go. And I'm so proud of you guys and you're an inspiration to us all. Thanks very much. We, um, you know, we appreciate uh, that you're taking the time out and, and, and talking to us and other lodges can hear about our experience and, and uh, hopefully, you know, this can pay it forward kind of thing. So other people can um, take inspiration from us and maybe find out that they can do something similar in their community. And if we can inspire other lodges, that even is more benefit from what we've done. Yeah, if I could add just if, for other lodges considering this, it, it's valid to, to have serious concerns and to look at all the issues you have to face. But from our experience, it is worth it. You can do it and you can make an impact and it will be okay. Um, It'll be appreciated and everything will be well. Okay. Uh, just a quick question. Um, we just, we uh, recently had a, um, an episode about um, drinking in the lodge and we yeah, talked to it. <laughs> we talked to a dry lodge member um, and he had concerns about insurance. So can you just, just run us quickly through the financials regarding insurance and this program? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, because there were there were issues with WorkSafe, uh, which is an uh, employee insurance program run by the government, and uh, just building insurance, liability insurance, and whatnot. So we're, we were all already currently insured, but for our, for us in our community, uh, uh, our structure, what worked at best, as I said, is to structure this. Not that we were running the the center, but that we were renting. So we were acting as landlords. We're already insured for that. So our insurer was completely happy to sign off on it. All we had to do is pay a one-year 
uh, rider of $150. We pay $150 extra per year and WorkSafe was completely satisfied as long as we structured it as a, a rental. The city is renting from us for $1 a year and, and they run it. and they've got their own insurance as well. So it was really nothing to, to yeah, carry on. Easy. Yeah, nothing. Amazing. And so you guys, you know, that's, that's, there's something for people to listen to is that you just go out there and you inquire about how, you know, you can, it's not, you're not taking all the liability. You're not at all. Yeah. You're taking uh, zero liability. Uh, Josh, and I'll say a hundred percent in, in our contract, we negotiated, we have a, a thick contract with the city and they take all liability. They, they will, there's specific clauses. They will pay for any damage, anything. It's all on the city. Uh, we are the landlords. So again, the real estate is the big asset that we bring to the table. So we are at no risk. That's very cool. Thanks very much, guys. I think we covered everything. Uh, so thanks very much. I hope you guys have a good night. Um, you have sent me that uh, link, Walter. I will uh, patch in a bit of that interview. Um, and at, at absolute least, I will have the link in the show notes. So people can click on that and, uh, and go to that interview from the CBC. It was awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Walter and Chris and Josh. We hope you like the show and let us know at info at moderngoatrider.com with an email with uh, your ideas for future shows. Josh and I will be back again soon with another episode, making Oddfellows discoveries and seeing the Oddfellowship all around us. Cheers in FLT. Yeah.